Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. And what is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. When was the last time you've done something so unexpected? It brought a smile to everybody in your community. I'm talking parents, teachers, staff members, students. As a leader of a school or district, you, Ruckus Maker, have a unique opportunity to do something special, maybe even every day. Every day could be exhausting. But what I want you to think about is the power that is inherently inside every single moment that we sort of just take for granted. In today's conversation with one of my friends, Amy Platt shares how she did just that. How did she do it? Well, this story takes place with a holiday that happens every single year. But Amy decided to look at it a bit differently this year and brought an ice cream truck to school and the rest is history. So keep listening to hear that fantastic story and how you might bring some energy to your school by utilizing the power of a moment. We'll also talk about something Amy found extremely valuable called the Decision Journal. You can read all about the Decision Journal on my website and download a free template over at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash decision dash journal. A link to the decision journal will also be in the show notes. So Ruckus Maker, thanks for being here. And before we jump into the episode, I'd like to take some time to thank our show sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, which increases student active engagement and participation and reduces classroom management issues. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. It's basically like a Fitbit for teachers, helping them be mindful of teacher talk versus student talk. Get a special 20% discount for your school or district by visiting TeachFX.com forward slash B-L-B-S. If you're waiting for your district to develop you, don't hold your breath. What would you be able to accomplish if you poured jet fuel on your leadership development? Rob, a principal in North Carolina, had this to say about his mastermind experience. I have found myself trying more things because I know that I have the support from other amazing school leaders to help guide me through if I get stuck. Turn your dreams into reality and level up your leadership. Apply to the mastermind today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Well, hello, Ruckus Makers. I'm here with a friend and fantastic leader. Uh, It's going to have so much fun um, talking and, and adding value to you today through the podcast. Dr. Amy Platt is delighted to be head of school at the Paul Penna Downtown Jewish Day School. Amy is passionate about excellent instruction, 
and working with teachers to be talented professionals they are destined to be. Amy holds a PhD and master's from the University of Toronto. When Amy is not at work, she can be found on long-distance bike rides, pondering the larger issues facing education. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks, Danny. It's really fun to be here. So you have just a, a wonderful, beautiful picture of you with the biggest smile hanging out of the window of an ice cream truck. And I want to start with that story of bringing the ice cream truck to school and why you did that. It's a great, great story. So ice cream trucks are an incredibly seasonal delight in Toronto, Canada. Our temperature warms up towards the end of May and cools down in the beginning of October. And from May to October, you can see ice cream trucks everywhere. And they are truly, truly delightful for children and adults alike. So in my first year at the school, it was June, and we were coming up to a Jewish holiday called Shavuot. And it is traditional for people on Shavuot to eat dairy food. So you don't eat any meat on Shavuot, you just eat dairy. We eat blintzes, we eat ice cream, we eat cheesecake. And the traditional food to give children in schools is ice cream sandwiches. So for you know the 20 years the school was alive, every Shavuot, the children would get ice cream sandwiches in their classrooms. And I felt that we had an opportunity to do something really fun and different and special to mark the holiday, partially because it was my first holiday there. And it was, it was early June. Sometimes Shavuot falls in early May. But this was early June, so it was warm enough to do this. So I suggested to our parents' association and to our school program coordinators that we get an ice cream truck. I thought it was a bit of a wacky idea. I wasn't sure what everyone would say. And they thought it was a great idea. Our parents' association agreed to pay for it. It was probably about $250 or $300 more than ice cream sandwiches for the class. And so on that June day... We brought that ice cream truck and we pulled it into the only parking spot around the building. I had to work with my building manager to allow the ice cream truck to back up. I actually bribed her by telling her that after the children got ice cream, every staff member in the building would have a 20-minute window to come and get ice cream. We gave ice cream to all of the nursery school students in the building who aren't part of our school, but are definitely our pipeline. And that was super fun. And I was holding the door as the children were running down with glee as they saw the ice cream truck. We had this complex schedule to get, you know, 160 kids and their teachers ice cream in a 35-minute timeline. And I thought to myself, I could hold the door or I could give the ice cream. Who wouldn't want to be the person who gets to give the ice cream? So after about the third class, I jumped into the ice cream truck and I worked in tandem with the ice cream truck driver and I handed out ice cream and those smiles were unbelievable. The kids were so excited to choose and to get and to enjoy and the teachers loved it. So when Shavuot came back again this year, the question was, do we do ice cream truck again? Do we do ice cream sandwiches? What do we do? We ultimately decided against a second ice cream truck because we didn't want the kids to get into the habit of expecting something big and special. We really wanted that to be a standout memory in their time. Remember the time the ice cream truck came to school? And so we rethought it 
And we did another wonderful thing that was a little bit of ice cream sandwiches, a little bit of ice cream sundae, a little bit of welcoming the third graders up to the upstairs where the fourth, fifth, and sixth graders live so that they would uh, get a sense of what life is like upstairs. It's a big move for them. And we, we played with ice cream again. We, we've decided that we're not going to take ice cream as routine or for granted. And each year we'll think about how we can really leverage the ice cream into a memorable moment. Speaking of moments, that really reminds me of that book we read, you know, The Power of Moments. And you really uh, leveraged, yeah, having the ice cream truck, amplifying the, the uh, value of the holiday and doing something special that will be forever in the minds of those students. I wonder too, if it's something maybe that you bring, bring back just once through their tenure, you know, at your school. And I love that you had the strength to say, okay, it's not every single year, right? Because what's the value of doing it big and bold every time? There might be a cost related to that and you critically thought about it. So that's interesting. Ice cream stories, ice cream trucks. What a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah, it was great. It was really, really great. Everyone loves ice cream. That's a sweet story, but I'm wondering if we can uh, turn to one that's maybe not necessarily very, very challenging, but I, I know that you um, shared in the intro call a metaphor of what you learned about climbing a big hill on your bicycle. Yeah. And I know that you love to go out on long bike rides, but this does uh, also illustrate some leadership principles. So can we go there? For sure. So, you know, I think it's important to start at the beginning of my bike riding journey. Uh, When my son was in JK, he made a best friend, as lots of little kids do in JK. And one of the things that allows me to do the kind of work I do and work as much as I do with as much passion as I do is that my children are at school with me. And so when my son was in JK, he made a little friend and that little friend was in my charge because I was a vice principal for this group of children. And I met his mother. This little boy was a really, a really spirited child. And, you know, I had lots of interactions with his mother and she really became my best friend. She's actually, we're still, we're best friends to this day. And I think it's because of bike riding. So what's amazing about my friend is that And what's so sad is that she was widowed in 2013 uh, with a almost three-year-old and a -a one-and-a-half-year-old. And when I met her in 2015 or 16, she had participated in an amazing bike ride called the Ride to Conquer Cancer to help raise money for cancer research and support the hospital who had given her, her husband, her late husband and her family so much amazing care in his final months. And she had done it with her brother and sister-in-law, but this year her sister was pregnant with twins and wasn't going to be able to do it. And she was going to do it alone. And I couldn't have her do it alone. I don't like when people have to do big things alone. And I thought to myself, if this amazing woman can do this with two little kids and no husband at home, surely I can do this with two little kids and a husband at home. So I bought a bike and she and I started training together. And for five years, we've done the Ride to Conquer Cancer together. Uh, I think that we've probably raised close to $100,000 in our small network. My husband ultimately joined in. And for us, that started a passion of cycling, which was exactly what we needed to get us from ski season to ski season, because really what we love to do as a family is ski. Anyways, all that to say, 
this year on the ride to conquer cancer, the ride went down into a city called Hamilton. And that was our midway point. And people set up camp at the University of McMaster University in Hamilton campus. And the ride in was beautiful. It's um, There's one little hill. It's beautiful through the vineyards of Ontario. And you go down a lovely hill right into McMaster. But the problem with going down a lovely hill is that, what's the problem, Danny? You have to go back up. <laughs> you have to go back up. And getting 5,000 people up a big hill is a challenge. So the organizers of this ride um, plan the route really nicely to go up a really gentle railway trail that kind of went in and out and in and out and meandered up the big hill. And so I was set to do that. I was following my husband. I was following the people. I was following my perfectly programmed bike computer. And when I got to this railway path, I noticed that my husband and the five or six people we were riding with and my bike computer all went the other direction. So 5,000 people are going up the bike path, the gentle bike path. And my six people and my bike computer are going up the steep kilometer and a half long hill. And I have a big decision to make at this moment. Do I follow my computer and my people and take the challenge of the big hill? Or do I do what I know I can do, which is meander up the bike path in a crowd of people? And if you know anything about road cycling, there's nothing worse than being on a bike that's supposed to go fast behind people who are going slow. So I dug deep and I started cycling up this very, very big hill. Actually, halfway up, you have a lovely, lovely view of the city of Hamilton and McMaster campus. So that was a halfway bonus. And when I got to the top of the hill, my group was patiently waiting for me and I had a sip of water and I then had a long flat to think about what I had just done. And I was really proud of myself. It was a hard and unexpected hill. It was the beginning of our season. And what I remembered in that moment or what I came to in that moment is that our moments of greatest growth and strength often come in the times of greatest struggle. So the hill was really hard, but I am a strong, literally stronger rider and rider and metaphorically and mentally stronger rider because I did that hill. And I know the same is true as is true of leadership, that not all moments of leadership are ice cream trucks and ice cream cones and big smiles on a sunny day, that we have a lot of big hills that we have to climb and they're not always expected. And sometimes there's an easier route to go, but our organizations and ourselves aren't going to have the same amount of growth if we don't strive for those big but attainable hills. I have been clear with my husband that if and when we ever go to Europe, there are hills that will never be attainable to me, or they'll only be attainable with an e-bike, in which case I remind myself that sometimes there are huge hills that we have to climb that might not be attainable with just our own pedal power, but there are other tools in our kit and other resources around us that we can use to still get up those hills. So I've learned a ton from endurance cycling and uh, hill riding that gets me through my day every day. And my kids will say to me, because they've heard me say it on my bike, on my skis, um, and actually on water slides, uh, you can do hard and scary things. And so my kids will always remind me, and I often will remind myself in the course of my day, you can do hard and scary things. Thank you for sharing that story. It it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite 
Seneca quotes now, which is basically, um, I judge you unfortunate because you've gone through life without any misfortune. Uh, you've had no opponent and nobody knows what you're capable of, not even you. Yeah. And that, that, that was an important quote for me to get into my heart because I don't like going up the challenging hill. Yeah. I like doing the meandering path and I like it too easy sometimes. Mm-hmm. But now with that quote and experiences in life, just like you mentioned, uh, learning that they do teach you the biggest things. Uh, I look forward to what those big hills will teach me. Right. And, and endurance riding and big hill riding isn't for everyone. So, you know, you've moved across the ocean with only Miriam, right. And had to create a life and a social network and a work that works there. To me, that's a, that's a huge, huge hill. So it might not be your pedal power, but it is definitely your mental endurance and your creativity that allows you to live overseas away from family for multiple years at a time. So it's just where people, you know, where people find their hills, but look in your life for your hills and see how that can metaphorically relate to the way you do your work, the way you engage in work-life quality or work-life balance, the way you parent, Mm. the way you're married. I mean, all of those things can be great hills and just finding the place in your life where you uh, know you can go down them or go up them mm-hmm. is, is real. I have to pull something out of the story that you shared. I may have known this about you or I might just have learned it for the first time, but I, I think I heard you say that your, your kids hear you say something that I can do hard and scary things. Mm-hmm. So did, did I, one, did I hear that correctly? And two, if I did, that's because this is something you're saying out, out loud. Is, is that right? Am I getting it correct? There's two things my kids say. So I'll talk a little bit about hard and scary things. They also will say to me, mom, the like or the want will pass. So when I walk by a store window and I say, oh, that's a really nice dress. I think I'm going to go try it on. My daughter will look at me and say, mom, the want will pass. So that's really sweet. The other thing my thing my kids repeat that I say and my husband repeats and I now can I'm now finding some colleagues who are saying it to me is you can do hard and scary things. So for me this is a personal mantra. I use it when I'm going down steep ski hills. I use it when I'm riding up steep bike hills. Uh, my family loves water slides and I don't ever want either of my kids, but I guess especially my daughter, to see me backing away from something because I think it's scary. And so I have done water slides that are way, way outside of my comfort zone. And I literally will stand out in that water slide. If you've ever seen the videos of the water slide where the floor falls out from under you, I will stand. I haven't, but that sounds terrible. Terrible. You go into this chamber and then the door closes and then you count to three and then the floor falls out from under you and you just drop. It's very scary, but I, you know, I can do hard and scary things. And so I know that I can do that. And it transfers into work. Last week, uh, over the Canadian Thanksgiving weekend, we did some ropes courses with our kids. And I definitely heard my daughter while she was, you know, 25 feet up in the air going over these rope and wood blocks. I mean, we were, we were harnessed in, we were totally safe, but 
saying you can do hard and scary things. I can do hard and scary things and mom, you can do hard and scary things. And so we said it back to each other. It's really a great mantra that we all have. Everybody should have something like that. Confidence is 100% tied to what you say to yourself. And far too often, uh, I don't know if the ruckus maker can relate. Maybe you can, Amy. But that thing we say to ourselves, even out loud, is not very helpful, Mm -hmm. right? Why'd you do that? You're so stupid or, you know, whatever. But to be able to repeat, I can do hard and scary Mm -hmm. things and doing that consistently is such a generous gift and that you're giving it away Mm -hmm. too, you know, to your family. Mm -hmm. Um, I really, really love that. Thank you. Amy, let's pause here just for a second uh, to get a message from a sponsor, but we'll be right back. Great. Better Leaders, Better Schools is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher with the students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non-cognitive skills at OrganizedBinder.com. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. TeachFX is a research-driven app that uses artificial intelligence to give teachers feedback on the balance of teacher talk versus student talk. Their use of open-ended questions, wait time, and equitable classroom dialogue. Learn more and get a special 20% discount for your school or district by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All right, and we're back with Dr. Amy Platt. We just finished a wonderful story about her talking about how she can do hard and scary things and the leadership lessons she learned uh, climbing very difficult hills on her bicycle. Uh, Amy, something that you mentioned in the intro call that I love is that you've often felt sidelined as a leader. I don't love that, but you said you didn't feel that in the mastermind. And I'm wondering if you could just speak about your experience uh, there for a little bit. Sure. I've really loved being in the mastermind and you know, recently given a lot of thought to how the mastermind has become one of my favorite times of the week that I love the people I've met and really the friends that I've made. I look forward to it as a social highlight of my week, hearing about other people's wins of the week, thinking about the the hot seat and what I can learn from other people's challenges and the way that this diverse dozen group of a dozen of us share ideas, how I've been helped with my own challenges. And what I love most about the mastermind is how I feel like there's such equal playing fields. So sometimes in leadership, I feel that uh, both being female and also being young, um, I started as a vice principal at 31. My, my voice hasn't always mattered or my ideas haven't always counted. And there's been other people in the room whose, whose ideas are more important. And I've had I've learned a lot about leadership through that and from that and what to do with that and how to overcome that. But in the mastermind, I never feel that way. I feel that gender doesn't matter, race doesn't matter, sexuality doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter who you are because we've all come to this with our best intentions and our, our most generous assumptions about people. And we're just there to learn and help and 
and form friendship. And so I have found that to be a really remarkable highlight of my week. And I feel like it's added tremendously to my my professional growth over the last probably 14 or 15 months that I've been part of the mastermind, learning from others, learning from you, the resources that I've gained access to, both because they're available and maybe they're available to everyone in the Go community, but just being on that call every week highlights to me what's there and reminds me where to look and what I can use to really level up my own leadership. I appreciate you uh, sharing a bit about your experience in Ruckus Maker. If you are wanting to apply or to check out about all the value of the mastermind, go to betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Well, Amy, let's uh, finish up our conversation. You knew these questions were coming. What would you put on a school marquee around the globe if you could do so for just a day? So the first thing I wrote was, wrote down was a Brene Brown idea. I couldn't imagine that I could get through this podcast without referencing Brene and my general love of Brene. (laughs) I am uh, the number one Brene fan out there. So I took a quote from her book, Braving the Wilderness, which Mm. is a wonderful book about how we really get to know ourselves in this complicated world. And what Brene says in that book is move in, people are hard to hate close up. And in a world right now that is really quite driven by divisiveness along arbitrary lines, I think it's important that we remember to move in, people are hard to hate close up. And so when we have so many differences that drive us, you know, when we really get to know people, whether or not they're a Republican or a Democrat, whether or not they belong to one religious group or another, often that stops mattering because we really get to know what's at the heart of people. And so for that, I would want everyone to remember, move in, people are hard to hate close up. But then we talked about this idea of I can do hard and scary things. And so (laughs) I wonder if really what I want to put on school marquees is I can do hard and scary things and you can do hard and scary things because I would want, you know, faculty, families, students, drivers, buys, custodians, cafeteria workers to remember every day that they can do hard and scary things and those challenges will make them better. Both messages are a BLBS approved. So we'll give you two <laughs> days with marquees around Thanks. the world. <laughs> Thank you so much. You bet. Amy, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? So, you know, I think I'm in the process of trying to build my dream school. Danny, we've talked about this before and I brought it to the mastermind hot seat. Uh, My school is currently undergoing the decision-making process as to whether or not we'll grow from a K-6 to a K-8 school. And we spend a lot of time thinking about whether or not adding a grade seven and eight will um, both add value and will be sustainable in the long run, both in terms of uh, growing our organization and adding more value for the families who are currently there. And so I think about what does it take to build, to build a school? What would I really want? And in my thinking, you know, likely we'll be doing our school at what I call a satellite space. And so I think about space. Uh, I really do wish that money was no object. I spend a lot of time thinking about how to raise funds for this school so that we can do everything that we want. 
And so then I think about what is it that I'd want in this school? What would it look like? And, you know, for me, um, people always come first. And who are the people we'd want running the school? Who are the right faculty? Who are the right families? How can I create a school that would offer great opportunity to children in our community who really want this kind of values-based education? either through elementary school or linking them from elementary to high school, really insulating them during those really tumultuous years of middle school. And I think about wanting people who are values aligned. So values aligned families and faculty are so important. And we know our values. I think it's important that if you're building a school from the ground up, you know what your mission, vision, values are, and you know what your the cornerstone is of the institution you're building. And for me, when I think about a school, I want a school that has lots and lots of light. Um, I look for space with big windows. I think about architecture that would bring in the right light from the right direction. And not just light in the physical space, but light in the emotional and the spiritual space. So what would it mean to bring light into a building in the way that we engage with people, in the way that we engage with our spirituality, and just in a way that would allow visitors to come in and say, wow, this is a really bright place, bright from both the sunlight that would shine in and bright from the sunlight that would shine out of the people who were in the school. Amy, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I think what I want ruckus makers to remember is that you can make any moment powerful. And Reading the book, The Power of Moments with the Mastermind by Dan and Chip Heath has really been a transformational experience for me. It is up there with Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, books I've read or listened to multiple times, uh, given out as gifts. Like I tell my employees, new employees have to read Power of Moments before they start. And I just want the ruckus maker to know that they can take any mundane moment and make it powerful if they really use the factors that are there to help transform moments. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.